if you've been here regularly, you notice that for three weeks in a row, I have not been preaching. Uh, I was sitting by the poolside eating bonbons. <laughs> uh, I was very thankful that in this church, Clay can come and preach and lead as he did, and, and very thankful that my friend Vito could come and preach too. Uh, I have a voice here, but not the only one, and that's a, a good thing, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, what I have been doing over these three weeks is preparing for what I'll start today and then do uh, all the way through the middle of July for about two months. The world is a mess. And it's about time there was some significant change. I bet every one of you agrees with me about that. Am I right? It started for me some months back where I found myself every day thinking, what is happening in our world? I can't believe it. Has anyone else been feeling like that? And more and more. And it's about time that there was some significant change. And I'll tell you, there are many ideas about what the real problem is. Just like there are many uh, ideas and, and, and perspectives on what the real solution is that come from every different angle. And what I'm going to do this morning is to give you my solution from our perspective. And I say our perspective because I mean the group that has chosen to be together in a church on Sunday morning instead of somewhere else is a group that has a perspective. And from this perspective, uh, the perspective where there are men and women who are doing their best to figure out what it means to believe in Jesus and follow him, there is a solution for the problem, and this is what it is. Very simply, what the world needs is men and women who are learning to trust Jesus and whose faith becomes action. That is, the world needs right now men and women whose faith in Jesus turns into a different way of being in the world. And when that happens, I do not think it's too much to say that God will change the world when we learn to have a faith which is active and living. Uh, Jesus will do that. Let me start for just a moment with Jesus. Uh, some of you who know the stories of Jesus well will know that when he walked on the earth, he changed the world. He fed hungry people. He went to those who were broken and in need of healing and he healed them. He found those who were lost and far away from God and he went out to them and he brought them back close to God to the place where they needed to be. He brought them home. In Jesus' day, the world was a mess. And what Jesus did is he stood in the face of what was wrong with confidence and poise and he stood for what was right. No matter how strong the foe was, Jesus overcame evil with good. That was Jesus. Now listen to this, and this is a statement about you. Jesus told his followers that when they trusted him, they would do the same things which he did in the world and even better things than they saw him doing. And that means Jesus told those who were ready to follow him that when they trusted in him, they would feed hungry people. They would heal broken people. Do you know that our world is filled with broken people? And not just far away, but close? They would be the ones who would go and find those who were lost 
and bring them to the place where they could come back to where they belonged, home in the presence of God. When his followers trusted him, they would be men and women who stood up to, to wickedness, to cruelty, to greed and oppression and injustice of every kind, and they would stand strong and confident because they were following Jesus. In short, they would be men and women who overcame evil with good. And what the world needs now is men and women whose faith leads them to be this kind of instrument in God's hands, the kind that Jesus told them they would be when they trusted in him. Do you know that the world needs just this right now? Do you know that? I need your help. Yes. Because there's wickedness and there is evil and cruelty. And what it needs is men and women who trust Jesus and are willing to stand up and then become the goodness of God that overcomes evil. We can go on complaining endlessly about how awful the world is and then we will only be a part of the problem. But we can, according to Jesus, be invited into the solution where God uses us to change the world. That is the truth. I have seen it with my own eyes in grand and inspiring ways and in small and ordinary ways too. That is people who trust Jesus changing the world. Has anyone in here ever seen it? In 1994, I had finished college and I received an invitation to go work in the city of Philadelphia for one year as a volunteer who was gonna live with 14 other Christians in a row house in Southwest Philly. Do we have any fans of Philly here? One or two. All right. Hey, no offense, but the school system in Philly is bad. It's very bad. And the school that I went to work at with these others was a school for kids who'd been kicked out of the public school. And we were there because someone told us, if your faith is real, it should be something that changes the world for good. That's why we were there. There was one young man named Leonard. And listen now, I'm going to tell you it very plainly. Leonard had a faith which worked. And because it worked, it changed, it changed the world. He was fun to be around. He was light and easygoing. He was cheerful and joyful even. Leonard was kind and gentle. He was a servant in, in times when no one else wanted to serve. Have you ever met someone like that? On Thursday nights, we would have a meeting with everybody in the house, and then we would get assigned our chores for cleaning the next day. Kitchen was the worst. I remember Sean from Boston, one of the guys who lived there, he got kitchen duty. He was so angry, and everyone knew it. We went to bed on Friday, and then I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and I noticed there were some sounds coming from the kitchen. I went in there to find Leonard on his hands and knees scrubbing the kitchen floor so that in the morning, Sean wouldn't have to. He had a toothbrush and he was cleaning the grout. I know someone's thinking, I bet that was Sean's toothbrush. <laughs> That's what I thought. Not only was Leonard a servant, he was mighty. And I mean that. He was so strong, he didn't even fear death. On Thursday nights, before chores were assigned, we had a weekly spaghetti dinner. And it was a big deal for us because we didn't have any money. We were all missionaries together, and on Thursdays, we'd have spaghetti and meatballs, which uh, it was not a lot of meat there, but meatballs, and then garlic bread. And on a Thursday, I was out on the stoop, and Leonard hadn't come home from school yet, and then I saw him walking up the road, and he looked pale and a little bit un uneasy. And so when he came up, I said, Leonard, are you okay? He said, I, I was just mugged, and I feel really bad. 
And I thought, well, I guess. That's what happens when you're mugged. I left school late because I was helping out with some kids. And I shouldn't have walked by myself. A guy came up from behind me. I turned around. He grabbed me. He put a gun in my face. Give me your money. I told him, I don't have any money. And it was true because we really did not have any money. We were there being supported by churches in the area. I took off my watch, which my grandfather gave me, and I handed it to him. And then Leonard said to me, I feel really bad because he was a mess. He was desperate. And then Leonard had this smirk on his face, and he said, Christian, I put my right hand on his shoulder, and I looked him right in the eyes, and I said, Thursday night is spaghetti dinner at our house, and we're allowed to invite friends. Would you be willing to come with me? The man put the gun down, dropped the watch, and turned and walked away. And the reason Leonard felt bad is the guy chose not to come back with him. I, I did not feel as bad as Leonard did. <laughs> I want to tell you what that is, what that picture is. That is faith which works. That's what it is. That is what the world needs. That is evil being overcome by good. And I don't just mean that the man with the gun was evil. I mean the world which is so broken, where people are so desperate and violence seems to be the only way. All of that mess is so unbelievably hard to figure out how to fix. But when someone actually believes what Jesus said, when someone trusts Jesus and has real faith, that is so mighty that it is a good which is stronger than any evil and which changes the world. And it changes the world in small ways through kindness and acts of selflessness and scrubbing the kitchen floor when it's not your job, just as it changes the world in really big ways. Making someone who's become violent think twice and recognize that there is a power in the loving invitation to eat spaghetti and meatballs that is stronger than the bullets in your gun. And I know that someone is thinking right here, oh, if only I had faith like that. And I remember thinking that when I thought about Leonard. And even as I talk about him, I'm envious because I think, couldn't I have faith like that? I wish I could. And we think, and this is what a lot of us have learned, that to have faith like that is spontaneous and automatic. Either you have it or you don't. What I want you to know now and for the rest of this time that we're on this subject is it's not true. It's not actually automatic and natural. In fact, Leonard's secret was, on the one hand, he knew that he was saved by grace. And anyone who has faith in Jesus is the recipient of God's grace. But Leonard also knew that faith which works in the world actually takes work. And what I want to show you now, this morning, and in these weeks ahead, is, is how to work at having faith which actually does something in the world. And here's why. Here's my goal. It's because the world needs to change and it's about time that something significant happened. And when I look at you, what I see is an unbelievable potential for world transformation. For you individually, for the worlds that are immediately around you, and for wherever you end up in the world. Because I know that the way it works is that when God invites men and women to follow Jesus and then they trust him, I know it, that they will do the same works that they saw Jesus doing. But that takes work. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Peter, he was one of Jesus' very close friends who knew what it was like to have a faith that worked and then also a faith which didn't work. We're going to let Peter guide us in how to find the path 
to the place where our faith becomes what the world needs. In the second letter that Peter wrote in the New Testament, I'm going to read from that. And we're going to take our time through the first eight verses. If you would like to follow along, just find your way to 2 Peter. I'm going to read it today as a framework for us. And then in the coming months, we'll dwell on what he teaches us. Okay? Just to give you context, like all of us, Peter knew what it was like to try to trust Jesus and to find it difficult to do so sometimes. And what Peter also saw, like all of us, is that the world needs faith. And then what he had, which maybe we don't yet, but which we're going to get, is a very clear path of how God builds faith in us so that it works. And one last thing before we read it. Faith which transforms the world, faith which transforms your little world, which changes the things that you're carrying into this place right now, which are too much for you, so that you can become what the world needs. Here's what Peter wrote. Verse 1 in 2 Peter chapter 1 reads this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. The author of these words is a man who understands himself first as a servant of Jesus and then as an apostle, which means someone who was sent. This is a man who believes that he serves God and has something good to say in the world. And the recipients of his words, the ones to whom he writes, are those, he says, who have received a gift as precious as the one that he himself had received, which is the gift of knowledge of Jesus, the gift of faith. Not because of anything good he had done, but because God is good and glorious. And because of that, Peter addresses men and women who are on their way to trusting Jesus because of God's gift. Now listen, if you are here this morning and ready to listen as a person who's received the gift of faith, but now you're in the place of saying, how does it become real in my life? You are just the person that Peter is writing to. Uh, listen, some of you may not have that gift and you may be just looking from the outside. I invite you to listen with expectation and hope that maybe that gift would come. It's what God means for you. With that in mind, Peter invites them to receive grace and peace, and then he continues in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything that we need for life, God has given to us. Everything that is required for you and for me to have a life which bears the title godly has been supplied not by our goodness or our glory, but by God's glory. Please get this in your mind. The author of this letter, Peter, believes that what you require in order to live a life that does what Jesus did in the world has already been given to you by God. You cannot sit back and say, well, if only I had these other things which I've not yet received, then I would be able to do it. No, Peter writes to us as men and women who've already been given everything we need by God's goodness and glory. It's there, it's for you already. Then he continues in verse four. Thus, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. 
Peter knows that the world is corrupt and that it is filled with all kinds of disordered desires. That's what he means by lust. Every kind of message which will tell you, do you want real life? Come and get it this way so that your heart chases after things which are no good for you. And Peter knows that the world is ready to corrupt you and turn you inside out. We all know that too, don't we? Every hour I spend reading the news stories and then scanning through the internet in the ways that it directs me corrode my soul. Am I alone in that? You all love it. Are you with me? (laughs) Boo internet. But, But here I learn that God has already given to me just what I need to participate in the divine nature. That is to say that Jesus who was God with us If you would only imagine him walking beside you, that is divine nature. You have everything you need to walk with him and walk just like him in the world. That is, you've been given everything required so that now you can already become in faith what the world needs as you do the very works that he has done because God has given you what you need to have that that nature as a part of your very existence. Now, pay attention here because here is the key. In verse five, he goes on to give us what is a very, very direct and clear road sign for how to have this kind of faith. Verse five, for this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith. For this reason, that is that because you've been given everything you need, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. There you have seven virtues which make faith work. Peter addresses a group that has received the gift of faith, but then tells them very simply what they must do in order for that faith to actually work. And then he enumerates those seven virtues, which if we're willing to make work at those, then then we will see our faith work. And he says it very explicitly in verse 8. And this is where I want us to stop. Look at verse 8 with me. For, and this is a promise, If these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very direct and clear promise. If, and that's conditional, if you have these virtues and they're yours and they're growing among you, then there is an outcome that you must expect And this is the goal which Peter sets before us, which is as clear as if it were a road sign with a giant arrow pointing all of us in the direction of where we need to go if faith will work. Because the truth is, apparently faith can be ineffective and unfruitful. And I know right now that some of you have been turned off by Christians, and the reason is their faith was ineffective and unfruitful. And I know others of you right now are feeling quite empty and hollow because you've gotten to the place where your faith, your knowledge of Jesus Christ has become ineffective and unfruitful. And what you need is to see the path toward the opposite, which is effective and fruitful faith. And if we pause here with Peter and articulate once again the goal, then we'll be ready to learn. And that's what I want for us this morning, okay? The goal is that our faith should become effective 
and fruitful. And let's start for a minute clearly understanding what is meant by first, ineffective faith. In Greek, the word which is translated ineffective literally means not working. It's the word argos. It just means doing nothing. It means static and stuck in the way that it contributes nothing to the world around. It is broken. It is not functioning. And ineffective faith, very simply, is belief which makes no difference, no real difference for you. And as I say that clearly, I, I'm sure that some of you will have in your own experience of life times where your faith, what you believed, really made no difference for you. And you know how empty and awful that is. And others of us will have clear pictures in our minds of times where someone said they believed in Jesus, but it made no difference in the way that they lived. I'm speaking the truth, right? I was with two friends at dinner, one who believes and the other who does not. And she said to me, as she has many times, wouldn't it be great if only he would have faith? And of course I agreed. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he had faith like we do? He turned to her and he said very simply, I know that you believe that God is in control, but I see that you are just as anxious and nervous and worried all the time as anyone else. I don't know why you want me to have faith like you do. Ooh. But isn't it so? Right? That's faith which is not effective because it has no impact on the person who has it. And the goal here for Peter is that he would form those people to whom he writes so that they would be kept from that kind of ineffective faith. Someone in here right now is thinking of someone you know who they're all talk but no action. Their faith is not effective. And you're thinking, they need to hear this. Others of you are right now this morning, you've been struggling for a long time wondering why, why doesn't my belief match with my experience of life? I know this. You're thinking, why am I still so anxious? Why am I still so afraid? Why do I have so little courage with my faith? There is a reason. And we'll see it together this morning and in these weeks ahead. Do not despair. It's not what your faith was meant to be, and it doesn't have to be. But when faith is ineffective faith, the second thing which always happens is it also turns out to be unfruitful faith. And this is different than ineffective. Ineffective is it makes no difference in here. Unfruitful it's an agricultural metaphor. You're meant to picture something which should have fruit on it, but which does not. We picture a fruit tree, and there it is growing beside a stream, and it's right near your yard, but there's no fruit on it. Oh, it'd be so good if it had a ripe peach there every day, and you could go out and grab it and eat it, and now my mouth is watering, and I'm feeling hungry, but it's got no fruit on it at all. And that's because unfruitful faith is belief, which makes no real difference in the world. And this is the thing about Christian faith. So often churches make it seem like the only reason for faith is for you personally. It's a lie. That the only reason you should come to faith is so that you get a ticket to heaven, unlike everyone who hasn't got your faith. Nonsense. The truth is, you're meant to come and trust Jesus so you can be with him forever, but not until he begins to use you now to change the world, which also needs him and which needs you to have faith which bears fruit in the world. And that's what the church is made for, to be a community of people who come together and whose faith 
every day is becoming more effective and more fruitful so that the world finally has what it needs. And when that happens, then, then the world around us will be transformed. It is absolutely true. I've seen it in my own eyes in big ways and in small ways, and I am utterly convinced that what God wants for all of us here is now and in the days ahead to see our faith becoming more and more fruitful, better for the world, and more and more effective, more true and transformative for us personally. So then the question in me, the pragmatist in me asks, well, how? How will it happen? How can we get there? How can we see our faith grow like that? Good news. There is an answer in what Peter wrote for us, which we've read, which is very concrete and clear, and it's back there in verse 5. I'll look up there in verse 5 for a moment. That's where Peter says very simply, you must make every effort to support your faith. When he writes that, he is imagining a person exerting herself strenuously with all the power and skill that she has with all of her research resources as if she is on a search for something like a man in the desert searching for water. He is envisioning a man who exerts zealous effort with all of his intelligence and his ingenuity, with all of his energy going toward the same goal, which is a goal which is worth it. He is imagining a person deciding and then following through on that decision so that that person keeps going even when it gets challenging. The answer to how will we see our faith become effective and fruitful is in a single word, work. We will have to work at it. And I know, I know because I came up in a church where it was dangerous to talk too much about the work you had to do because that made people feel afraid that you would go on believing that you could save yourself. I have never, ever believed in myself that much. So trust me. The fact is it stands there as plain as day. If we will see our faith become effective and fruitful, then it will take some work. So that means, listen, I'm gonna be very concrete. If you are wondering why what you believe doesn't seem to make a difference in your life, maybe the answer is you haven't started working at your faith yet. Not to save yourself, but to work. Or if you're wondering, why does the church have so little impact? Maybe it's because, not that God has done something wrong, but we've not yet figured out how to really put our faith to work. Or if you're wondering, like so many of us will, how on earth will these issues in the world be overcome? It's too bad that God won't come and do something. You've just put yourself on the hook because what he expects is for us not just to say we believe something but to be ready to work. That's what it says here. Let me show you very concretely what it looks like when a person is actually working at their faith. My friend Leonard was able to stand up to the face of a gun not because he had faith naturally but because he worked at it. There was a laundry day in our house. And every time we had a laundry day, the line would be very long. I was usually at the back of the line because I loved sleeping in. And one morning, I set my alarm earlier than everyone else. And when I got downstairs, the lights were on already, but it wasn't someone using the laundry machines. It was Leonard sitting at a little makeshift desk that he had built in the corner of the basement. And he had his Bible and he had his journal. And he was reading God's word like he did every single day. And he was praying like he did every single day. He was praying for me and everybody in our house. He was praying for the kids at the school. He was praying for the men in the neighborhood who were driven to violence because of what was all around them. And he was praying for God to help him grow every day. And not only that, 
Leonard also had a friend who was a Christian who was older than he was, a mentor, and he used to check in with that friend once a week, asking him, how can I grow? Talking to him about what he was learning and what God was teaching him. Leonard also practiced worship every day, not just when he came to church on Sunday, but he found ways to connect with God and to feel good and like he was in God's presence even when he wasn't at church. The way he did it, Christian rap. That's funny. You should laugh at that. Like, no disrespect, but it was soldiers for Christ. Anybody know SFC? Yeah, you know me. They were awful, but Leonard loved them, and they helped his faith grow. He, listen to this, he used to sing all these little songs that he learned at camp when he was a kid, and I still remember the first one I ever heard him sing, and it was, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome I heard him sing that and then I saw him live it in the face of a gun. And the reason his faith worked is because he worked at it. And I want you to understand that we should not expect our faith to work if we're not willing to do the work that God has made very plain for us that we are to do. And it is plain here. And I'll tell you what, if we will do that, if we will allow ourselves to walk on the path of the work that we're meant to do for our faith, what we will see is God will change the world through the work that he does with us. And that is a promise that came from Jesus, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I'm absolutely certain it is true. You don't hear this much, but the world is filled with examples of men and women of faith who have trusted Jesus and gone on this path, and the world has been changed through them. Do you know that the hospital system was the invention of men and women who believed in Jesus and chose to deal with sick people differently than the world did around them. Did you know that? Do some research on this and you'll find the history of the hospital. In Jesus' day, it was culturally acceptable when a person became too ill to push them to the margins until they died and get them out of the way especially if you didn't have any money. If you were a woman who was a a widow or if you were an orphan and you got ill, too bad for you. In fact, when there were children who were unwanted in Jesus' day and who were born into families that didn't have the resources or didn't want to care for them, it was totally socially acceptable to take them and leave them in a field where they would die. That was called exposure. That was normal in culture then. And then you have men and women who believe in Jesus and who are ready to put their faith to work. And they say this is wrong because Jesus fed hungry people. He healed people who were sick. He told us to take care of children when they were distressed. And so they organized and got their act in gear and they put their resources together and they built what became the modern day hospital system. And they built it so that they could serve Jesus by healing people. And that literally changed the world. It's not the only example. There are so many examples of this. How about this one? Uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who stood up when racism was ruining our land and said it's wrong, no more. He did that because of what he believed about Jesus. He knew that according to God in Christ, all of us were created equal and we all had dignity before God and his faith drove him to stand against racism even though it killed him and invite others to do it. That was first and foremost an expression of his faith. Are we over that problem yet? Not really. In some ways, yes, we've made progress, but there still needs to be more that we do. How will it happen? I'll tell you, just as it started back then, when men and women of faith are ready to put their faith to work, then we will stand up against those miseries in the world, and Jesus will use us to bring about the world's change which it needs. Do you know that it's, slavery still exists in our world? 
There are millions of children who are enslaved right now by evil men the world over and who are abused and dehumanized for the profit of a few. And that's wrong, and that needs to change. How will that change? There's an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission. It was started by a man who read in the Bible that God says we should care for orphans and widows, and that's pure religion and justice. And so he started an organization that now frees many thousands of slaves every year. Here, I put these grand pictures before us to say that when we're ready to trust Jesus and allow him to put our faith to work as we ourselves are ready to work, we will see God use us to change the world. It'll happen in grand ways. And here now, I want you to think about you personally. It will also happen in small ways, in the little steps that you yourself know today that you need to take to get away from the misery that is ruining your life and putting chaos where you are. If you are wondering why God hasn't done anything yet, trust me now, God will not do for us what he wants for us to do as we trust him so that we grow. And if you are ready to put your faith to work, if you are ready to make every effort, then the promise of Peter is for you. And that promise is that your faith will be kept from being un fruitful and ineffective. And instead, you will see yourself experience the reality that Jesus promised, which is that you personally will become the agent of his goodness in the world, that you will do the works which he did and better works still. And then together, and this is my goal for us in these next two months, then together we will become what the world needs. We will see God use us to transform the world around us. And it will require this, and I'm going to say it every single week that we're together, that we make every effort. Did you hear that? (laughs) We will work. Now listen, I mentioned earlier that there's always a danger that when we start talking about work together as Christians, that we are on the knife edge of making a mistake which will make us further from Jesus than we could ever be, and that is that we might begin to believe that if we work hard enough, God will accept us. And I want to warn you before we continue in the, in the, in the months ahead that there are two ways that we can hear this message that we have to get to work. And one way is with the ears of religion. And the other way, which is completely different, is with the ears of the gospel. Let me tell you what I mean by religion. By religion, I mean the effort that men and women expend at trying to make themselves right with God by their rituals and by their religious ceremonies. And as long as there's been men and women who've thought about God, there's been religion of the kind where people have been led to believe that if only they get things right, then they will be okay with God and then he will accept them. And it would be one thing for us together to hear what I do today and on into the future as if it's up to us to be good enough so that then God will save us. If we hear it with the words or the ears of religion, then what we will hear as I urge you to work hard is Do these things so you will be accepted. And I want you to understand right now that if you hear me saying that, you will be putting chains upon yourself that will only make life more miserable. Peter, the man who wrote this letter, never, ever could have meant for anyone to hear his letter with the ears of religion. Because this was a man who knew full well. And if you don't know his story, I suggest you look into it. It's amazing. He knew full well that he was not accepted by Jesus because of what he had done. 
But he was plain and simple, accepted by Jesus, because that's the way God has decided to do it. To reach out to men and women who are in a world which is a mess and who are themselves a mess from the inside out and reach out with his gracious hand and accept them and love them because that's who he has decided to be. Whatever mess you've made of yourself, if you hear me talking about the hard work that's ahead of you and all you can think of is the mess that you've made of your life behind you and you're thinking, well, I must be disqualified. You are listening with the ears of religion and what I want you to do is I want to invite you to listen to to this all with the ears of the gospel instead, which say not do these things so you are accepted, but which turns the whole thing around and says, you are accepted, so do these things. And that's the invitation you have. You are accepted because God loves you more than you could ever dream, just as you are. And he knows how you're languishing with this ineffective and unfruitful faith. And he loves the world more than you possibly ever could. No matter how much you love the world, he loves it more. And he looks at you and he says, I accept you as my daughter and my son. And now I have great work for you to do in the world. I've given you gifts and I now promise that if you trust me, I will use you to change the world. All I ask is that you're ready to get to work with me and with the others that I've called together so that your faith will be fruitful and effective. You are accepted, so do these things. Which things? And here's where I'm gonna end. Look again one last time with me at the text. At the words that begin there in verse 5, for this very reason, this is what we're going to do. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection. These are the virtues which go beneath faith so that it's held up and becomes effective. And you notice there's a sequence, right? Which means the first one, goodness, holds up faith. And then beneath goodness, there is knowledge which holds up both. Do you notice the last one in the list? The last virtue is love, which means the thing that we're called to work on most is love. That's the invitation. Get to work loving. That's a good invitation, isn't it? Isn't it? Because what the world needs now (laughs) Maybe we'll try to sing that at some point. (laughs) It is unfathomably freeing to know that the God who gave himself for us invites us to get to work and the most important thing is the work of love. Isn't that great? It's so great. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend one week on each of these virtues in the weeks ahead. And then we're going to see for us and for the world that our faith is going to change us and the world. And that's what I'm going to pray for now. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you that at the very heart of this gift that comes through your righteousness and through your goodness is the invitation to be people who work hard at love and mutual affection that we can become a community where we support each other in this endeavor to work hard so that our faith changes the world. God, so many of us are so desperate to finally see the world change. We thank you that in Christ you've come to defeat the enemy of sin and death, and then we thank you that you've given us this gift of faith and invited us to get to work. God, would you please show us with crystal clarity in the weeks ahead how we are called to walk forward into faith so that we become the way that you change the world. Help our faith work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.